0: But we are continuing our series, Songs That Pierce the Heart. And in this series, we've been talking about all those songs that kind of grab our attention and get a hold of our hearts, those songs that just drive down deep into who we are. And there are some beautiful, amazing songs that have been written over the years out there, and we've been playing a few of them. But a few weeks ago, if you are here two weeks ago, I believe it was, I made fun of a bunch of lyrics. Because while there are songs that pierce the heart, there are also songs that do not pierce the heart. And so I made fun of some popular bands, and I got some flack. Some of you guys came back at me for making fun of some of you guys. That's lyrics. So I thought tonight instead of making fun of somebody else's lyrics, I'll make some, make fun of some of my own. So when I was younger, I was in a bunch of bands and I was in the drummer. I was the drummer in most of the bands, but for some reason they let me write the lyrics, which you don't ever let your drummer write the lyrics, okay? You're going to find out why in just a minute, okay? But I'm going to share with you my most embarrassing lyrics that I could find. I found a whole box of my lyrics from like 20, 25 years ago. And so I'm going to just set this up for you. This is a song. I was in a band called Mustard Seed. I was the drummer in this band and and we, we did a song called Chocolate Milk, okay? And it's about a guy, fictional character, who was struggling to kind of like grow up in life and take life seriously and get serious about God, okay? Super embarrassing. Here we go. You can read along. There's a man who I used to know. His problem's not denial. He's not concerned with status quo. His fault is quite unique. It isn't hate or rage. He doesn't have the chicken pox. He just don't want to age. He's still drinking chocolate milk. That's the chorus. He's still drinking chocolate milk. It gets way worse, trust me. There's only two things. This stubborn man won't budge. He won't give up his chocolate milk, and he won't accept God's love. But what this old man doesn't happen to see is they only serve hot chocolate down where he's going to be. Yeah, yeah. And then Chorus, he's still drinking chocolate milk. That is horrifying. I was like dreading sharing these with you guys on so many levels this week. I even reached out to the staff and I said, do you think I can get away with this? They're like, yeah, go for it. I think they just want me to be embarrassed here, I think. But man, sometimes there are songs that pierce the heart and sometimes there are songs that do not, right? But in the Bible, there are a bunch of songs that pierce the heart and they're called psalms, right? Songs that David and others wrote and put together so that they could be sung when people gathered there in the temple for worship. And we're looking at some of the psalms in this series, and so far we've talked about closeness with God, so far we've talked about bringing our sin to God, so far we've talked about worshiping God as we've looked at these psalms. And sometimes when you come to church, you know how the message might kind of hit you right where you are, and then other times it doesn't so much, you know? Um, maybe sometimes you walk in and it's like, okay, I'm not really going through that right now, but I'll just file that away for like the future when I go through that again. And that's a great thing to do. But I think and I pray and I hope that tonight what we're gonna talk about is gonna hit all of us where we are in life right now. Because I think what the Psalm we're gonna look at tonight brings up, it's Psalm 27. Man, it talks about something that affects every single one of us, I think almost every day. Because Psalm 27 talks directly to our fears. See, we can all relate to having different types of fears, can't we, Right? Some of you guys in the room, man, you are fearing a certain battle in your life. And I'm not talking about a physical, literal battle, but I'm talking about a battle with somebody, a confrontation maybe with someone, fearing what that's going to look like. There's an issue to resolve and you're kind of nervous about how to make that happen and make that work. Or maybe the battle you are fearing is the battle with something inside you. It's this battle with an addiction or it's a struggle or it's a sin thing or it's a doubt thing or whatever it might be. And so sometimes we fear those battles. Some of us fear an opponent coming up against us, okay? Maybe that's uh, somebody in your guy's school. So It's a professor. Maybe it's someone that you work with. It's a boss. Or maybe someone that's a peer in your workplace. Or maybe even someone that works for you. And man, it just seems like whatever they can do to push your buttons, that's what they do. And like going to school or going to work or maybe it's someone in your family, I don't know. Every time you're around them, you just know it's gonna be like, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a little bit of an opponent coming up against you. And sometimes we just fear like, man, how is this going to play out? How am I ever going to get rid of this? How is this ever going to get better or go away? Some of us fear the day of trouble. What do I mean by that? Sickness, accident, losing somebody we love, just sort of that, that day where everything kind of falls apart and we sit and we kind of think about that and we mull it over in our mind. Some of us fear rejection and abandonment. Like that somebody we love and care for and we value greatly is going to push us away. He's going to say, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't want to, you know, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend thing, dating thing, marriage thing, parent thing, um, just friendship, whatever it might be. We fear sometimes being rejected and abandoned by somebody that we care for. Some of us in this room, our biggest fear is that God will reject us, that God will abandon us. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a follower of Jesus. We love that you're in the room. It's just so cool that you're here. And maybe you're fearing that God would never want you, and maybe you kind of believe the lie that the people in the seats around you and me here up on this stage are these perfect people and that's why we can have a relationship with God but nothing could be further from the truth and you're going to see that clearly here tonight but some of us who are even followers of Jesus sometimes fear that that finally we're going to do something that just rubs God the wrong way and he finally gets sick of us and he says I'm done with you sometimes we we think all right maybe God won't give up on me but you ready for this what if my grip on him isn't strong enough Like what if I just can't hold on to him? Temptation becomes too great. Uh, Life gets too difficult or too hard. What if I just can't keep hanging on to him? We're going to see and talk about that a little bit here tonight. Some of us fear the road of uncertainty that's ahead of us. A lot of young people here tonight love that. But some of us are looking ahead at our future. Some of you guys are thinking about colleges, some of you guys are thinking about moving somewhere else. Some of you guys are thinking about staying, please stay. We love you all, staying here on Long Island and trying to figure out how you're going to survive and what job you're going to get. Some of you guys are older in the room and you're thinking, "Man. Uh, you know, uncertainty, I'm thinking about maybe changing careers. I'm thinking about, have I saved enough for retirement? I'm thinking about all these kinds of different things, relationships. Some of you guys fear, and maybe as parents or grandparents in the room, the uncertainty of the road ahead for your kids or your grandkids. I mean, all kinds of fear for all different age groups here in this room tonight, right? About just the uncertainty of what's ahead of us. Maybe you have a big decision to make, and you're just not sure what to do. Maybe, maybe you fear, you drive yourself kind of crazy over every decision you make because you don't want to make that wrong decision. Another thing some of us fear is being misrepresented or falsely accused of something that we didn't do. That's so tough, so difficult. Some of us have been there. And I think all of us can say that at one point or another, we struggle with the fear of death. This past Monday, my wife and I were in New York City at a doctor's appointment, and we were talking with an autonomic neurologist. This guy's like brilliant, total genius, and he's talking with my wife about all the stuff she's been going through physically and health-wise, and says to her, okay, so what other doctors are you seeing, and what other things are they prescribing? And so Kelly says, well, this one doctor tried to put me on this one medication, but as I started to look into it, the number one side effect was death, and the doctor looked back and said, that is a bad side effect. And I think we all kind of look at that and go, what, are you kidding me? Like, like I was just thinking to myself, like what do you need to put on the side effect list after that? Like what's going to beat that, right? Like, You start with death. If that's what you lead with, I just make the list one word, right? That's all you need, okay? But we all struggle sometimes with that uncertainty and some of that fear around death. Well, what's that going to look like for us? When's that going to be? Will the people we love be okay? I mean, all these kinds of things. We can kind of, again, drive ourselves crazy, with this stuff, Maybe I didn't bring up your specific fear struggle, but I think we all know exactly what some of our greatest fears are. And what I love is that we're going to look tonight at this psalm and I think find some great hope and some great answers on how to battle our fear. And I think this is so important to talk about because being a slave to fear is miserable. Slave. Man, being a slave to fear. I mean, fear is like the absolute worst master, isn't it? And God has so much better for you and I than to be stuck in our fear. And if I could just kind of throw this out there, wouldn't you agree that 99.9% of our fears never come true anyway? I know there's the point ones, and I've lived that, and I've been there. you know. And the point ones stink, man, and they're hard, and they hurt, and they're scary. But the 999 is where I think most of our fear lies. And so we're going to look here at Psalm 27 in just a minute. And I hope you find encouragement. I hope you know as you walk out the door tonight what to do to battle your fear. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, we are so glad you're here. And I hope you will see what God might want to do when it comes to your fears. But I hope you also see the incredible grace and the hope and the salvation that he offers. Okay, so we're going to check out Psalm 27. David wrote this psalm, and he is the perfect person to learn from about fear. Because he had so many reasons to be afraid, and yet he refused to give into it. I mean, he, is, he was a king, so he had other nations to fear, other leaders that wanted to demolish him and his nation. He was also, uh, obviously, the leader of his own nation, and there were people within his own kingdom that rose up against him. And even more than that, there were people within his own family that rose up against him. And so, man, if there's anybody that gets it, if there's anybody that understands fear, it's David. And so let's check out Psalm 27, verse 1 it says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So David, right off the bat, brings up two reasons that we should not fear. Number one, because God is our light. Think about what light does for you. Most of the time, you know, like especially little kids, they're afraid when the lights are out, when it's dark, right? And light brings comfort when we're afraid. But light also brings clarity when we can't see. And so David is saying, God, I will not be afraid because although I'm afraid, you are my comfort. And although I can't see what maybe I'm supposed to do next, you are my clarity. And so because you're my light, I will not be afraid. And I think it's interesting that David calls him our light. And as far as I know, this is the first time in the Bible that this is used as a metaphor for God, that he not just has light or created light, but is our light. And I love that because I think that sometimes we're afraid of the dark, so to speak, you know. I mean, yeah, literally. I mean, you could ask Joey and Andrew and some of the people from the, you know, that worked on staff at the old building. Man, that, that place was creepy at times at night, man. I mean, there were times when we'd be working there late at night, you know, building something or putting lights together or whatever, and we'd leave 2 or 3 in the morning. If you were the last person to leave, it was so creepy. And I remember times, and i, I got to admit this, I would set the alarm. I would lock the door. I would run to my car, slam the door, lock it. And then I would feel around in the back seat and make sure nobody's back there with some fishing wire getting ready to choke me out. If that's not a fear you have, enjoy that one from now on, right? You can thank me later. But man, I was scared of the dark. But you know what I think the truth is? Is that many of us, again, as adults, we're not so much scared of the dark, but we're scared of what we think about when it's dark, right? Because isn't there something about that nighttime? When the sun goes down and we're laying in our beds, and man, the places our mind goes. The fearful things that we think about, the day of trouble, death. Will so and so abandon me? Will God abandon me? That place sometimes where it's almost like that that half sleep, you know what I mean? Where you just begin to fear all kinds of crazy things, but David says, no, 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 I will not fear because the Lord is my light. And so he brings me comfort and clarity in the midst of those dark nights seasons. And then I love, he says, he's my salvation. We're going to talk more about this later. But this is so powerful. David says, I will not fear because God is my salvation. You know what David is basically saying to his enemies? Do your worst to me. I am saved. I mean, imagine going through life with that attitude. Do your worst to me. I am saved by God. I have all that I need. I am forgiven and I am loved and I'm accepted by God. So whatever happens in my life, Although I want it to go well, and I'm not inviting bad things, at the end of the day, God is my salvation, and so I will not fear. So if Adrian Gonzalez had not been recently traded to the Mets, I would not be using this illustration, but since he has, I'm going for it, okay? So he's a gifted first baseman, good hitter, won several batting titles and all this stuff, and he talks about how, as a follower of Jesus, he walks up to the plate, and he's afraid. Now, he's not so much afraid of like 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You know what he's afraid of? He's afraid of failure because he knows sometimes you hit the ball out of the park and sometimes you strike out. And so he stands there afraid of being judged on his performance. And I think you can relate to that, and I sure can as well. So you know what Adrian Gonzalez has done? He has inscribed on his bat Psalm 27, verse 1. So every single time he gets up to the plate, he remembers, wait, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear failure. I'm not going to feel what man says. I'm going to know whether I strike out or I hit a grand slam right now. I'm accepted. And God is my light and my salvation. My prayer today is that God will inscribe that word on our hearts. And we'll go through our week with that kind of confidence in him. So then it goes on. says, The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So here's David, the king and military leader, using military language. He's saying God's like a stronghold. If you've ever seen a war movie, a stronghold is a place that soldiers would build to defend themselves, right? Every time you cross over the Throgs Neck Bridge, if any of you guys ever go over that bridge, you drive over a fort, a fortress. Fort It was built in 1833. That's a picture of it right there. And you guys think about that at wartime. I mean, 1800s. Think about running into that fort when you were afraid of those that might be coming around you to do you harm. And David's saying, that's what God is like for me. He is my stronghold. He is my fortress. And as we have this opportunity, we have to realize something about our stronghold and our fortress. You know what we have to realize? A fortress is only worth something if you are inside it. Right? That's the only time a fortress is worth anything. I mean, if I'm standing outside the fortress and the cannons are rolling up and it's behind me, not going to do me any bit of good, right? So my question for you is, do you run into your fortress when you are afraid? Do you run to God? Do you sprint to him and say, God, here are my fears. Here's what I'm going through. Do you become like David in this psalm where he literally lays out his fears before God and then praises God for all that he is in the midst of your fear? Or do we run from God? Or do we try to handle our fear and our anxiety and those things that are way bigger than us on our own? And so David is going to show us through this whole psalm, sort of this pattern of praying to God and praising God. Praying to God and praising God through the midst of his fear. So then it goes on in verse 2. And we're going to learn something in verse 2 that I hope unlocks the whole book of psalms for you, okay? It says this, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall, okay? So this is this is like slightly off topic, but it's so important because have you ever read the Psalms? And as you're reading the Psalms and you're like finding comfort in them and you're finding like inspiration in them, suddenly you get to a verse like this and it's David's like talking about his enemies failing and falling. You know, and there's some pretty graphic ones. Like there's times David's like, "God, break their teeth in their mouth." Right? Like, has that ever messed with you? That messes with me sometimes. Like, I I just want to be close to God. I don't want to be, like, having this graphic imagery. And and how is this okay? And why is this in the Bible? Right? So let's talk about this for a second, because I don't want you to trip as you're reading through the Psalms in the future. So when David says something like that, he's praying something called an imprecatory prayer. Let me tell you what that is. It is a prayer that asks God to do bad things to one's enemies. Now, here comes the big question. Why can David pray this prayer? Like, why is this okay that it's in the Bible? Well, two thoughts on it. First of all, David was a king. And so when David is praying these kinds of prayers, he's not praying it about this guy Bob in his office who he doesn't like, right? God, break Bob's teeth, right? I mean, it's it's not what he's saying, right? No, he is literally asking God, there is a nation rising up against me. There is a king coming against me to devour me, devour my family, kill us, burn our city. So God, please protect us and stop him. You can almost imagine, right, World War II, can't you imagine the leaders of different nations sitting in a room together going, God, stop Hitler, stop him, do whatever it takes, break his teeth in his mouth, God, if that's what it takes, because he's doing such horrific things to people around him. And so David's a king, so he's in this unique place. So you and I can't pray prayers like this. But the second thought I have on this too is that just because David prayed these prayers doesn't mean he necessarily always should have. And what we know about God and David's relationship is one of God's issues with David was that he was too bloodthirsty a king, right? And so just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean it prescribes something, right? It can describe that David prayed this prayer without saying we should pray this prayer, or even that it was okay for David to pray this prayer. So I think sometimes it was a right for David to pray some of the prayers that he prayed, but sometimes I think he was too bloodthirsty. He was too vengeful. And maybe if him and God were to have a conversation, God would have been like, David, you gotta calm down on some of this, you know, teeth kicking, you know? You got, Lord is my shepherd. Ah, break his teeth. You know, whoa, 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 something happened. A little disconnect here, right? But let's move on. I hope that helps as you read Psalms. Okay, verse three. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And I think this has Two facets to it. First of all, David's a king. A nation's coming to destroy him. as some of us fear a nation coming to destroy us. Or we fear physical harm. Or we fear something terrible happening in our school or our business or our workplace. We live in a scary world, right? So that's one facet of this fear that I think David's referring to. But he says, I'm going to be confident even in the midst of that in you, God. But there's another facet to this fear that I think we can all really relate to. See, think about it like this. When David sees an opponent from another nation coming in to attack him. Do you know what he's seeing? He's seeing one of his peers, one of his equals, rise up against him. And I think we can relate to that. Though we're not kings, we've got people in our lives, peers, equals, who rise up against us sometimes, don't they? And sometimes those times are so difficult. And sometimes we want to just take things into our own hands and kind of lay back into people, put them in their place, do what we think needs to be done, maybe even do something manipulative or behind the scenes or a little bit shady to get our way. But I love that David here is just saying, no, I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be confident in you, God. And he goes on. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So I love this because David is saying, okay, in the midst of my fear, I'm going to be as close to you as I can. My one desire, God, is to just be as near to you as I can. And so if I could say anything to you about struggling with fear and battling through it, it's be as close to God as you can be. And as we saw in week one, David literally did not have access to the presence of God like you and I do. So to go be in God's presence at the temple, he would have had to go on a journey and go find the temple and get in the temple and then he could be in the presence of God. But you and I could take the presence of God with us to school tomorrow, to work this week, everywhere we go. And David said, I just want to be as close to you as I can. I got these fears all around me. Be as close as I can. And so if I could encourage you guys to be as close to God as you can during your fear, it's going to make all the difference in the world. And then David tells us why. He says, for in the day of trouble... Here's the day of trouble, right? Some of us fear the day of trouble, the accident, the bad news, the bad phone call. I got a phone call about two hours ago that my uncle's dying. He's uh, been going through chemo. He's going into hospice care, and the end is near. The day of trouble, the time that phone call arrives that you don't want to arrive. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And I think we all relate to that day of trouble. And David just keeps on bringing it back to I'm going to run to you, God. I'm going to look to you for protection. I'm going to look to you to have your hand on me, to be my safety net, God. And I'm going to praise you through this time. Then, verse 7. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says "If you, seek his face. Exclamation point, right? Your face, Lord, I will seek. So those of you who know me well know I'm a slightly obsessed with exclamation points. But David has one in the right spot here. That's an appropriate exclamation point. My heart says, seek the Lord. Seek his face. What's he saying? In the midst of your fear, seek God. He's the answer. So again, I'll just ask you, when you're afraid, when I'm afraid, do we run to God? Do we run into our stronghold? Do we run to our fortress? Do we run to our shelter? Or do we try to carry this weight on ourselves? Or do we run from God and maybe get angry at him because we're even going through this fear in the first place? I love that powerful thought. And then he goes on. He says, do not hide your face from me. And this is so important. If you are afraid of God's rejection or you're afraid of a person's rejection, If you're afraid that God's going to abandon you or that a person's going to abandon you, look what it says. David says, God, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior. Huge fear we have. Don't, Don't abandon me, God. Don't reject me, God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a huge deal for you because maybe you walked in here thinking that the only way God will accept you is if you're good, if you're good enough. If you show him that you're worth it. And maybe if you are a follower of Jesus, you walked in here tonight going, "I'm just not sure if he still wants me." I spoke with somebody this morning at one of the services and I said, "Hey, how you doing?" And this person just very candidly right now in there in the lobby, just looked back at me and said, "I did something I really shouldn't have done this week. I made a terrible decision." And I think sometimes we walk into this room with that weight on us like could God honestly still want me? Or is this the time he'll finally reject and abandon me? David gives us this answer. Is God going to reject us? Verse 10, though my, my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So what is this verse saying? It's saying that when the two people, though the two people who should be the most faithful to me, even if they reject me, and some of us have been rejected like that, even if they reject me, God will receive me. He will always take me. He will not push me away. He will not look away. He's always got my back. And I think what we do, guys, is we look at how people have abandoned us and then we place that onto God. Sometimes people abandon us because we hurt them and they can't bear it and they can't forgive, so they flee. Sometimes, and really more often, people abandon us because there's something broken in them, not something necessarily broken in us. And I'm here to tell you tonight, that God, when you and I sin, does not get you know, hurt to the point where he does not forgive. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God has no flaw and no brokenness. And so no, he does not abandon you. He does not abandon me. See, the two things that make people abandon us do not apply to God. And so he will always receive you. He will always receive me. Some of you guys might be like, well, how do I know? Well, if you need any proof that God will always receive you. You just look to what Jesus did on the cross. His death in our place. His death for, for you and me who were sinful. If you need any proof that God will always receive you, you look at this guy named David whose psalm we're reading right now, who was an adulterer and a murderer and a bloodthirsty king, and yet had this close relationship with God. And so God desires to receive you and me. I love this. Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. So some of us in this room... Fear the uncertainty of the road ahead. And that's exactly what David is talking about here. And some people think that David was actually running away from his enemies as he wrote this psalm. Like some people are thinking David's actually on the run, like literally like back there his, his enemies could have been to capture and kill him or, or, or back out that way. If he, went, if he went the wrong way. See, when David is saying, lead me, he doesn't say it like you and I, like, oh, Lord, lead me to your will for my life. No, he's like, God, lead me so I don't die. Lead me so I don't get caught by my enemies right now. God, you can see where my enemies are, so lead me the opposite way of them. This is a desperate prayer for God's direction. As some of you here tonight are desperate for God's direction in your life, and he can see which way to lead you. He can see what all the outcomes are. And this is why, especially when it comes to decision making, we can't, when we fear and we get anxious, grab a hold of our own ideas and our own plans and start trying to take things away from God. We have to continue to look to him and say, God, lead me forward. Direct me forward in all that you have for me. So this past year, I struggled with this a lot. When we were talking about selling our building and trying to find a place to go, I struggled with this a lot. And I was so uncertain about what God would have us to do next. And the clock was ticking down and we were going to have to sell our building, and I was kind of just freaking out and so fearful, and and like, God, what are you going to do? I mean, I slept so little this past year, it's not even funny. I went on vacation, you shouldn't even call it vacation, you should call it like bald man freaking out in the mountains of Massachusetts, like that's basically what it was for like a few weeks, and I'm just like, God, what do you have for us, what do you have for us? And I, I believe my man Josh Crane's here tonight, and Josh and I were having conversations, and he was so encouraging to me through the process, and Man, God, Josh, just want to say, God, used you during that time to bring me some peace, and I so appreciate you and and all that. And and so just walking through this, trying to figure out what was next. And about nine weeks from when we were having to sell our building, I had a conversation with a guy named Rob Scurrito who's on the school board here. And some of you guys know the story, but I I found the text that I sent our full-time staff. It said this, talk with Rob Scurrito today. He's on the board at Hopog. He said they have a school that's just being used as a preschool right now, and they may be willing to rent the gym and a classroom to us. So nine weeks to spare. Just uncertain, not sure where we're going next. And God already saw it all. He had it all planned out. He knew exactly where we were supposed to go. He knew exactly what was supposed to happen. And about halfway through the bald man freaking out on vacation, vacation, I called a friend of mine who's a pastor and He said, Doug, you have got to calm down, man. You got to relax. This is not your church. This is God's church. Jimmy said something similar to me as well. Joey and Andrew and Pastor, these guys all around me, like, it's gonna be all right, man. God's gonna lead us forward. It's gonna be okay. And you know what? God will do the same for you. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna direct you and I as we seek him. He had that all planned out all along, and it was all in his hands. And so, What do you need to seek God for right now? What decision that is uncertain and that you are fearing and worried about, what do you need to just look to him and say, God, here it is, help me, God. You can see what the outcome should be. I cannot at all. Then it goes on, verse 12. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So here David is saying, hey God, you know those guys that are chasing me, that like if I take the wrong direction, I'll run, run into them? Well, when, if I get into their hands, man, they're gonna misrepresent me and falsely accuse me of things that I have not done. So God, please protect me from that. And some of you in the room can relate to that. You've been misrepresented. You've been mis- mistreated. You've been accused of things you haven't done. And it breaks you down. And here David is saying, but I remain confident of this. Verse 13 so beautiful. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now, I think this means two things. First, God protects us here and now and lets us see his goodness on earth and we continue to live in the land of the living. Here we are, right? And some of us, we get angry at God. We go, God, but you should have protected me from this or that. And we get a little frustrated with God. I just want to encourage you tonight, Okay? Every day is a gift from God, all right? If you're 11 years old, you have lived about 4,000 days. That's 4,000 days that God's been faithful to you. If you're 19, 7,000 days you've been alive, and God has carried you and led you and directed you. If you're 40, like me, an old dude, right? 15,000 days I've been alive. Man, that sounds old, right? 15,000 days God has protected me and bless me with life in the land of the living. If you're about 69, 70 years old, 25,000 days God's given you. So I can look at my uncle. I think my uncle's 71. Got a couple weeks left probably. Wow, God gave him tens of thousands of days. And he has seen the goodness of God in the land of the living, right? And so I think David is saying, you know, I'm confident of this. I'll see the goodness of God here and now, and, and I believe he'll come through for me and protect me. But I also think David was looking a little bit ahead down the road. You see, sometimes we lose people too soon, it feels like, right? Sometimes we go, but God, why this? Why, why did we lose them? Why didn't you protect them? And I think the other thing David is talking about here is heaven, the ultimate land of the living, that we will forever see the goodness of God In heaven, the land of the living. Now some of you guys may say, Doug, that is such a pastor, preacher, cop-out answer. Is it? Is it? Or is it actually all of our hope? Right? Is that what I'm supposed to say to you tonight? Or am I supposed to remind you tonight that this right here, right now, life right now, this is spring training. This is warm-ups before the concert. This is not what it's all about. And David could say, and what a way to go through life. You want to do your worst to me. I'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living, by his side, forever. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus saves and rescues. That's a way to go through life. That's a way to stare your fears in the face and find great freedom. Pastor Ravone, our founding pastor, years ago told this story about a man who was taken prisoner and he was a Christian, and some soldiers were given orders to take him out through the jungle and execute him. And so they walk out through this jungle, they hand him his shovel, and they say, dig your own grave. He begins to dig, and he's fearful. He's afraid about what they're going to do to him. But as he's digging, the reality begins to set in. Wait a minute, I'm about to go see Jesus. Like, I'm going to dig this grave. These guys are going to do whatever they're going to do to me, and then I'm going to stare Jesus in the face. And now he starts to get excited. As he's digging. And he's digging this hole deeper, and he's more and more getting passionate about seeing his Savior and seeing the God that loves him so much. And as he's digging, suddenly he hears the, hears the soldiers begin talking, and there's this big commotion, and he starts to overhear things about some kind of attack back on their village. And the soldiers look at him down there digging his grave, say, Get out of there, we have to go back to the grave, or go back to the village, we're canceling the execution. And he walks out like disappointed now, because he was so ready to go see Jesus, so ready done with spring training, done with the warm-ups, ready for the the season, ready for the concert, right? So no, it's not a cop-out to say that we can face our fears because, I mean, ultimately, though this world can do some nasty things to us, one day we're going to be pain-free in Jesus' arms. That's not a cop-out. That is everything to you and to me. And then David ends like this, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. When David repeats himself, I think he wants us to hear that. Wait for the Lord. Right? Take heart, be strong. wait for the Lord. Why, David? Because when you don't wait for the Lord and you're afraid, you make a mess of things. Because you start to take a hold of all kinds of things in your own hands, and you start to try to manipulate things and, and change things and turn things, and man, it makes a mess. So wait for the Lord. And watch what he will do. And So I hope tonight you're encouraged to see that he is our light and our salvation. He's our stronghold. He's the one that receives us, though others might reject us. He's the one that wants to be the fortress we run into. He wants to make our our crooked paths straight. He eventually wants to bring us to the land of the living in his presence. And yeah, by the way, he's going to protect you for like probably about 25,000, 30,000 days here as well. Because he's a good God to us. But as I look at this psalm, I think... Very clearly, I mean, if just in a few words I could sum this all up, David just saying, God is with me. I will not fear. I will not fear. He's with me. I have all I need in him, and so I will not fear. And so will you run to God when you're scared? Remember, you have to be in the stronghold for it to protect you. You have to be in God to find strength in his presence. You have to run to him. Like David says, his, his, I think his heart had to kind of preach through his head. Seek his face, exclamation point. Get close to him. Run into his presence. Let him make your paths straight. And let him show you his goodness in the land of the living here and now and even out into eternity. And so will you run to God when you're scared? Will you bring him your fears? And you might say, well, how do I do that, Doug? Practically, how do I do that? Let me just kind of wrap up by telling you what I think this looks like in our day-to-day life. Did you notice what David was doing through this psalm? He was bouncing back and forth between prayer and praise. Oh, God, don't let my enemies take me. But, God, you're my light and my salvation. Oh, God, don't let them you know, misrepresent me or accuse me. But, God, you're my stronghold and my fortress. And I want to encourage you to learn more and more to bounce back and forth between prayer and and praise. There's something so powerful about praising when you're fearful. I've been walking through a season with somebody who's going through some terrible fear. Honestly, the worst fear I've ever seen somebody have to walk through. And when this person gets fearful, the the whole atmosphere in the room changes. And they just tighten up and and, and just start kind of freaking out. And I've encouraged this person when they go through this, you know what? Just begin to pray, begin to ask God to help you in these times. And so they'll begin to pray, God, just protect me from this fear and remove this fear from me and and, and protect me and keep me and and get these scary thoughts out of my head and all these different kinds of things. But you know what I noticed? And I didn't, this, this kind of happened on accident, but it's totally biblical and it's what we've seen David do, is when this person shifts from asking God for help to praising God for who he is, the whole environment changes. The person's whole countenance changes. When it goes from, God help me because I'm scared, to God, thank you that you're with me. God, protect me from these fearful thoughts, to God, you're my savior and you created everything and there's nothing and no one more powerful than you. I'm telling you, everything changes. And so, man, what would it look like for you and me to go through our week saying, God's with me, I'm not going to fear. And when I start to head that way, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask him for help just like David did, but I'm going to spend a lot of time just praising him and thanking him for who he is. And you can do this at school. You can do this at work. You can do this driving down the road, working at your job. You can do this anywhere, just praising God and praying to God. And if you do, you will more and more begin to find the peace of God filling your heart, protecting, guarding your heart and soul in Christ Jesus, finding that he is all these things that we've talked about here today. One last little bit of advice. I would encourage you to find a verse that addresses your fear. There's a, you know, easiest thing you do is go to Google, type in I'm afraid or a Bible verse for being afraid of and then whatever it is, financial problems, sickness, death, uh, enemies, right? You know, whatever it is, it's there. Find that one verse and speak it out even if it's under your breath at work or school when that fear begins to hit you. But bounce back and forth between praise and prayer and speak out God's word. If you're not a follower of Jesus, so glad you're here, so glad that you heard tonight what God wants to do with our fear. But I want you to see one thing before I pray for you. I want you to see that Jesus experienced everything David was afraid he would experience and everything you and I are afraid we'll experience. Jesus experienced all that. Think about it. There was a day when Jesus' enemies rose up against him and they chased him down. And they beat him up. There was a day when trouble came. And he was taken and whipped and beaten and a a crown of thorns put on his head. He was rejected by the people he came to save. He was abandoned by his closest friends and eventually his heavenly father. So that you and I would never be abandoned. He was, I mean talk about a fear of death. He was placed on a cross and nails driven through his hands and he was hung out literally to die every fear you face, Jesus walked through so that you and I can walk free of those fears so that we can run to him. And nothing about this is about being a good person on your own. It's about surrendering your life to God and then watching him transform your life and doing you and I what we could never do in ourselves. So if you want to put your trust in Jesus tonight, I would encourage you to do that in just a minute. I'll give you a chance to do that. But I hope you're encouraged this week to know. And I hope this is what you'll take with you. I hope this is what is inscribed on your heart for this week. God, God, is with me. I will not fear. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us and that you love us and you've forgiven us of all of our sin and that you walk with us and you desire to receive us, not abandon us. You desire to be close to us. You desire to empower us. And God, you're going to protect us for thousands and thousands of days here and now, but ultimately, God, you have the most beautiful thing ready for us in heaven. Thank you for that. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray about some of the fears that you have? Would you pray about maybe the fear you have, but then also meet it with praise? God, I'm fearful about my financial situation, but God, thank you that you provide. God, I'm fearful about sickness, but thank you that you heal. Whatever it might be, walk through that a little bit. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would just encourage you to pray something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me, for dying in my place showing me that I'm accepted not because of what I do, but because of what you've done. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Show me how real you are, and God, I give you my fear tonight, and I ask you to draw me close to you and help me know what a relationship with you looks like. In your name I pray.